0: This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Games <laughs> Productions.com. Hello folks, and welcome to yet another edition of the Darker Days Radio Podcast. I am your odd host this week, Mince, as you heard me the last time, along with my faithful co-host, Vark. How you doing tonight, Vark? Not so bad, Mintz. How's things? Ah, uh, you know, just hanging out. This is uh, episode number 16. Yes, so, it is. Uh, we have a wonderful show tonight, one of the most demanded shows in our history, Mark, wouldn't you have to say?
1: Fifteen shows overdue, I'd say, absolutely. Never had so many requests for what we've had tonight. So, uh, yeah, should be good. Should be good.
0: Should be good. We'll see what happens when uh, we get to it and what happened? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it should be a fun time. Uh, Mark has a lot prepared for you. As Mark sat down and... What did you do, Mark? You had a little discussion about Changeling.
1: Changeling, yes. Dreaming, Dark Ages Fae, and Lost with two uh, men of erudition and wisdom. Uh, our very own... Boggan Knight from the forums and uh, host of the Mirage Arcana podcast, uh, better known as Adrian, and also Chris, uh, who posts over on EM World as Crothian. Uh, me and those two guys sat down, and we had a good long chat about the Changeling game, so we'll be getting to that in a little while.
0: Sounds like fun. So let's uh, let's get into, um, what do we always do, Mark? Oh yeah, that's right, it's been such a long time, you know, we're doing Darklings. <laughs> mail call, reach down in that mailbag, what do we got?
1: Well, we have a, a trio of males this time—just three, but they're three good ones. Um, a great mail in from Ben Barth asking where, for in, if we're interested in seeing a darkling on changeling. So, no, yes, we, yes, we are.
0: <laughs> Tell Ben Barth uh, now.
1: After tonight's show, there should be even more interest. So, uh, uh, Ben, if you want to do that, uh, get to it, and uh, you know the address. Send it to us right away. Um, ben is also working on a World of Darkness website focused around his own games, which look uh, looks like it should be pretty damn cool. Um, second mail comes from reclusive billionaire Phil Wheatley. He sent us a mail mentioning Second Life as a place where folks sometimes go to role play and suggesting that as something the tide is over until World of Darkness Online is released. Now, for those of you who don't know, Second Life is one of these uh, alternate worlds that's been online for a few years now uh, where you can go and, you know, live out whatever role-playing or or other fantasies you should choose to have. You can buy land there, and it has its own currency called Linden Dollars and what have you. Um, I I have an account in Second Life and an avatar there, but my crappy laptop and useless English internet connection means that I just really can't get it to run, so uh, you won't see me there anytime soon. Uh, Vince, what about you? You ever been to Second Life?
0: Uh, I tried it once, and I was just like, uh, because there was nobody there, so I was just like, what's the point?
1: I went there, it was packed, completely packed. Um, but yeah I was just you know my my avatar was so bad it was clipping up to its waist in the landscape so it was just embarrassing more than anything else Um, and finally we had a fantastic email from Erin Years who sent us some great support for the show so uh, thanks for that very cool and also a wicked ghost story which he then posted over at the forums and if you haven't read it definitely go and check it out for some real world spookiness from his own life Uh, cut a long story short his house was haunted by the ghost of a spectral uh, spectral woman whom his entire family was seeing, but they were all too embarrassed to talk about it until finally one evening at dinner, the truth came out um, so i'd have i 'd have run i 'd have long since fled that house. scary lady ghosts ranked just by and scary little girl ghosts for me so <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, uh, we want to give shout-outs to the newest members of the forums. So today that's Lost Kith, Jay Malkavian, Raven, Stokely, Bebop Cola, oh. Muse, Mr. Fabulous, zombiehead One, Needles, and Eriniers, Chris Warhart, The King's Raven, and Oberon000. Wow. The names just get better and better. I think there's going to be some competition going on that we don't know about. It's really fantastic. Bebop Cola. I love that one.
0: I I did see a bunch of names that registered were Zombie Ant, Fire Zombie Ant, Zombie Ants ate My Brain. I was looking at some of the (laughs) names. So it's some weird names, but really cool ones at the same time. Good stuff. Okay, folks. Now we're going on to our network news. Mark, you're going know, to you be like that little that little child uh, laughter there. Always creeps you out, doesn't it?
1: I, I just love it so much. Yeah, I know you do.
0: <laughs> and anyway, uh, network news. What we have in the network, we have nothing. Nobody came out with anything, and we don't care. No, I'm kidding. No, it's very quiet. Very boring. Very, yeah, very quiet. Very. But I just want to just take a moment to say uh, thank you to everybody that's gone to iTunes and gone out of their way to give us a five star rating and review. There was some really great, great, inspiring words on there. Uh, some. A couple people had said that you know they really enjoyed it and they were finally happy to find a good podcast. We appreciate it. Someone even said that we are a good combination for an Ennies Award. Cool. So maybe we'll just have to uh, submit our name in there for the uh, Ennies Award and see if we can beat out uh, Order 66 this year.
1: <laughs> Seriously, that is high praise. So thank you very much, everyone who's taken the time to do that. Uh, really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and one more name that I uh, want to mention that was on... Um, podcast alley the name sticks sticks out because it's called choking babies now is his username (laughs) (laughs) and he said we have a wonderful cast and uh blah 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 blah. good things this and he also quoted he said to quote mark good stuff
1: good stuff absolutely choking babies in hell
0: (laughs) yeah i was like wow okay cool name i like that so i have to mention that one uh Mm. go ahead mark what do we have on our network news
1: Okay, uh, two shows have come out from uh, those fine people who make the Darkling podcast. Um, Mm. Darkling's number six and number seven have come out since our last full show. Uh, Both of these focus on Monty Cook's World of Darkness. Number six uh, of the Darkling was another in-depth review by Beckett, who got really far under the hood and teased out some fascinating insights. Mm. But number seven was an interview with Monty Cook himself, yeah, which was just a thrill to do. Um, yeah, Vince fine. and I managed to keep our uh, fanboy geekiness under control <laughs> from, uh, throughout the show, and Monty was a real gent and sat down and uh, spent some time with us talking over the wares and for's of the, of the game, and also a little bit of ancient history from his TSR days and what he's up to now. So yeah, uh, Darkling number six and number seven, uh, go check them out, because uh, they're well worth it.
0: Oh, definitely! I was all excited when I actually had gotten contact with him, and he was like, "Oh, of course!" And I was like, "Yes, I gotta tell Mark and you know, Buddy Cook, yay! Yeah. That's great!" <laughs> I, I know Beckett uh, almost flipped his lid too, as I saw in the forums. He was like, "Yay!" <laughs> uh, That's
1: good. That was, right. that was good okay. fun.
0: He jumped in the bucket. This, yeah, you know. go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and also, um, Mirage Arcana number three has come out and uh, features an interview with Ken St. Andre, creator of legendary game Tunnels and Trolls, um, which was just fantastic. Used to play that back in the day. Uh, so that was a real coup for the guys over at Mirage Arcana. Wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crew there will be also be dedicating March as D&D month in honor of the great late Gary Gygax and their homegrown GaryCon. Um Adrian has got a post about that over on the forums under the Mirage Arcana section, so it's worth checking out. Some good ideas in there. Um, So definitely stay tuned for some old-school fantasy role-playing game goodness.
0: Sweet. Can't wait Mm -hmm. to hear that. Um, Yeah, just go right to our forums, uh, WGP. No, I'm just kidding. WildGamesProductions.com. I forget my own forums now. Wow, it's been such a long time, Mark.
1: It's really, it's it's hard to keep track of. The, the amount of proliferation of e-presence that we have is becoming quite daunting.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we have DarkerDays.tk. You can download our show directly, and you can go to Facebook and find us, which we're growing in fans, and we appreciate everybody taking the time to uh, stop by and join, so keep on going so we can get to that 100.
1: Yeah, well, it's 65 at the moment, so my refreshing finger is safe for another week.
0: Yeah, yeah well, you never know.
1: And, of course, you can email us at DarkerDaysRadio at gmail.com.
0: Hmm. or follow us
1: follow us on Twitter at uh, WGPRN or Alucard D20 wow
0: Uh, what's uh, so Mark do we have any uh, White Wolf news this week because I know it's been a little slow around there since uh they're, they're still keeping Nowadays. it ticking over.
1: Um, there's two new PDFs that have come out for the Exalted line, um, Fresh from the Wolf. One of them is called Scroll of Exalts, and it's write-ups for many of the game's most renowned exalts, uh, most of whom have never been statted before. So there's more than 70 ready-made allies and antagonists for the players and storytellers alike, a bunch of unique charms and items, uh, and examples of all seven types of Exalts, ranging from the ancient sidereal Chijop Kejak to the young dragon-blooded Kafak Miladus, and all ages and power levels in between you practice that all night? No, I just, just yeah, well, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I did, actually, I have to admit
0: it. All right.
1: Um, uh, and also, the other one is called Thousand Correct Actions, which seems to be a sort of Sun Tzu's art of war for Exalted. And it's got Thanks. the complete text of the Thousand Correct Actions book to use as quotations or military advice in your Exalted Chronicle, some new charms for dragon-blooded characters, and revisions and updates of original dragon-blooded charms. So both of those look uh, very cool if you happen to be an Exalted player. Good stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Good. Good quote, right? Get yeah, a T-shirt with that one. <laughs> that would be a good T-shirt. Speaking of T-shirts, if anybody wants wants a T-shirt, you got to email us and tell us so we can get moving on that project. I know someone did mention that in the past.
1: Uh, yeah, they come up before. that's right, very
0: true. Yeah, I also wanted to uh, take a moment to squash a nice little rumor running around about us and White Wolf that uh, there's no oh, yeah. truth to us. Uh, becoming an official podcast for White Wolf or CCP. I don't know where that started, but a few people had emailed me and emailed Mark about that. So we just wanted to put a lid on that so, you know, we don't get Big Brother mad.
1: No, no, we're afraid of the Big Bad Wolf.
0: No, we're already in in enough hot water as it is, so.
1: (laughs) Yes, stoically independent um, for now at least anyway. So yeah, um, a nice rumor, but uh, but sadly untrue.
0: And we appreciate uh, all the nice rumors. So let's move on to everybody's favorite segment. It's the stairs. Oh, Steve. I love the yes, folks. Oh I'm sorry, Mark, welcome. I stepped on you. Oh. Ow
1: <laughs> Welcome to the Secret Frequency. Uh, today we're gonna to be taking a wander through the trees of Aokigahara Kigahara Forest. And we were tipped off to this by the ever-vigilant Law, who is fast becoming one of our richest veins of creepy news, so thanks for that Law. Aokigahara Forest, which is at the base of Mount Fuji, is often called the perfect place to die. The Aokigahara Forest has the unfortunate distinction as the world's second most popular place to commit suicide. Oh. Uh, the first is the Golden Gate Bridge, by the way. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, for almost 60 years now, businessmen, lovers, jilted and the lost have been wandering into the forest and over 500 of them, sorry, 500 of them haven't wandered out again. An increasing rate, that is, of between 10 and 30 suicides per year. Uh, The greatest number was in 2002 when a record 78 people killed themselves beneath the trees. Yeah, Uh, Japanese spiritualists believe that the suicides committed in Aokigahara Forest have permeated the trees, generating paranormal activity and preventing many who enter from escaping the forest's depths. Complicating matters further is the common experience of compasses being rendered useless by the rich deposits of magnetic iron in the area's volcanic soil. And due to the vastness of the forest, desperate visitors are unlikely to encounter anyone once inside this so-called sea of trees. So, the police have kindly left signs reading, Your life is a precious gift from your parents. And please consult the police before you decide to die. <laughs> Mounted on trees throughout. I love that one.
0: Yeah.
1: Locals say they can easily spot the three types of visitors to the forest. Trekkers interested in scenic vistas of Mount Fuji. Star Trekkers?
0: <laughs> Very poor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go on.
1: Um. Yeah, trekkers, the, or the curious, hoping for a, a glimpse of the macabre. And thirdly, those souls who don't plan on returning. Now, what those hoping to take their lives may not consider is the impact their suicides have on locals and forest workers. In the words of one local man, it bugs the hell out of me that the area is famous for being a suicide spot. And a local police officer has said that he's seen plenty of bodies really badly decomposed or picked up by wild animals, adding... There's nothing beautiful about dying in there. Mm. Still others see the place as ripe pickings for the light-fingered. Often the deceased will have left wallets, jewellery or other valuables behind, which are then pilfered by thieves from their corpses. And the forest workers have it even worse than the police and the locals. These workers must, they're the ones who have the job of carrying the bodies down from the forest to the local station, where the bodies are put in a special room used specifically to house suicide corpses. Uh, the forest workers then play Jan Ken Pon, which English speakers call rock, paper, scissors, to see who has to sleep in the room with the corpse. Because, you see, it's believed to be very bad luck if the corpse is left alone. Because the ghost of the suicide will scream throughout the night, and the body will get up and move itself around on its own. Brain. Mm. Now, it is well worth looking up pictures of this place online. Uh, It looks incredible. You couldn't invent a more spooky-looking forest if you tried. Uh, Very creepy-looking place. And as with many secret frequency subjects, it just screams out with plot hooks. Now, tonight's suggestions come courtesy of Adrian, Boggan Knight, who will be joining us on the show in just a few minutes. Uh, He came up with a quartet of creepy story seeds to plant in this most fertile of Earth. Firstly, he raises the subject of the Giovanni. Now, those who've read Clownbook Giovanni will know that they have the ultimate goal of raising one million souls from the dead to use in a ritual which will destroy the Shroud and unite the real world and the Shadowlands, the lands of the dead. So what if Aokigahara Forest was one of several locations on Earth designed to draw in those seeking to die and then, via various necromantic compacts, bind their spirits for use in this ritual? In such a chronicle, player characters could slowly uncover the truth of one location, and maybe even compromise it, only to discover that it is part of a larger chain. For a personal touch, what if an acquaintance or friend of one of the player characters chose to die there? Whilst the player character might come to terms with the death eventually, learning that the soul has been denied its final rest for this purpose may galvanize them into action. If you're a werewolf player, or werewolf storyteller, it could be a research site for the ivory priesthood a camp within the silver fangs who study death and the dark umbra or a similarly oriented group in the haken perhaps via a spirit deal with an unbrood lord or a similarly powerful entity the priesthood are allowed to draw in lost souls for the purpose of studying death there are rumors that the very sick and dying have been abandoned in the forest to die which is just a really awful thing to do to another human being never mind contemplating what the poor individuals left there suffered so perhaps the silver fangs were worshipped or formed a part of the local folklore for a while, and the locals thought they were offering the sick and dying a chance of going somewhere better. There are out there myths that link wolves and death conceptually, so perhaps this is another example which ties into tithing the weakest members of the community when the impergium was still practiced, thus reducing the number of humans in a community, but doing so in a way that leaves you with the strong and able. There are many tribes that would be horrified to learn that Ironically, some humans still practice the tenets of the Impergium long after the Guru had abolished the practice, whilst others may seek to use it as as an example of how it can still work. Now, we mentioned earlier the reports that compasses do not work in parts of the forest. This could, instead of just being magnetic soil, could represent travelers passing into glades where the veil between the spirit world and the mortal realm is thin enough for mortals to pass through. Of course, these would be realms linked to the Dark Umbra. Such locales could be excellent places for euthanatos, mages, or hollowan cabals to meet and study. Or perhaps the player-character's cabal has been sent to either investigate the possibility of using one of these glades, or is even seeking teachings from a master who lives somewhere in the forest. And if they do need to pass into the Shadowlands, into the lands of the dead, you could seriously creep out the cabal by designing the Ao Kigahara Necropolis, a truly desolate and depressing place, if ever there was one. And finally, for a mortals or a hunter game, simply spending the night in the forest on a dare could be an exciting one-night game. Designing encounters where the players are unsure if NPCs are dead or alive, having their compasses stop working, or even having malignant spirits move any markers they use to navigate. Uh, Reports indicate that travelers use colored ribbons to mark their path, and that these ribbons are routinely moved by forces unknown, or things like other visitors having the constant feeling that you are being watched which often translates into a primal need to run being split up especially if it can play on the player characters in game relationships would be a truly terrifying experience in all it would be a good way for storyteller and player both to experiment with the notion that true terror is not derived from the statistics of adversaries but rather the nature of the game's atmosphere and if you were to take it another step a group of hunters could be pursuing a creature that decides to take refuge in the forest. The hunters have to follow it in, hunt it down, and stay sane. And the dra- the sun drops below the horizon just as they walk in. So, uh, four little story ideas there for you to uh, take a look at and use in your games. Suicide Woods makes Blair Witch seem uh, tame by comparison, I'd say.
0: That movie sucked. It did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> that was probably one of the worst movies of all time. And
1: the, the bit with the teeth was cool. I thought that bit was fun, but the rest of it, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really rate very highly.
0: Well, that re- I don't know for some reason, Mark. When you would tell me that story, and I was zoning out. No, I'm kidding. As you would tell me that story <laughs> and ideas, it actually th- I actually remembered uh, a story about when I went to. Uh, it was a little bit about an hour away from me. It was up uh, towards the mountains, which is a little over an hour. My friend, ha- his father has a cabin that's up there, and we went up there because he said it was haunted in the woods. Cool. And so we went up there, and we you know, we did the typical thing, brought a Ouija board with us. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, obviously, I don't think those things really work, but whatever. So we, we were spending the night in the cabin, and we were goofing around, and uh, we were using the Ouija board, and it actually started moving around, so we all thought it was one another. Yeah. And then we heard, like, something pound against the house. This is like a small... <laughs> Probably think about, you know, the size of a small flat. You know, nothing big. And um, something was pounding against the house and pounding, so we were all getting all freaked out. So finally, one of us had the the balls to go outside. (laughs) You know, you're probably that person in the movie theater saying, don't go outside, there's a noise. I'm getting into the cupboard and I'm not coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. So we went outside. This was not me. (laughs) (laughs) And up on the top of the little road that came down, There was this figure of... a We don't know what it was exactly... But it was something very large... Probably over seven foot tall... And it looked like it had horns... Oh my god... And it was standing there... Staring at the house... And my friend just came back in... Slammed the door shut... And was almost crying in the corner... Oh no... So the rest of us... Like yeah... Okay whatever... Nice trick... We went outside... And we saw the same... Shadowy figure standing there at the top... Let's just say we kept the lights on all night... (laughs)
1: Holy crap.
0: <laughs> and we stayed there for the morning, and then in the morning time, we uh, actually went up to that spot, and we did see footprints in the ground, but they were just boot prints. So it could have been just someone screwing with us that maybe someone <laughs> knew we yeah. were there. But still, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, enough yeah. to freak us all out. Oh, my God. Yeah, so uh, just a little interesting story. Maybe you can use the screw your hunters in the group. So why not, right? Ex- Excellent. Well, that'll wrap up the... Secret Frequency mm-hmm. this week. And uh, actually, we're going to uh, take a quick commercial break. now. I'm kidding. We're just going to take a break, and then we're going to head right into a segment that Mark did with uh, Changeling. Mark, want to lead us into this a uh, little bit and tell us a little bit about it?
1: Sure. Well, um, Changeling, as we said before, has been one of the most requested segments on the show. But truth be told, Vince and I are not overly Uh, knowledgeable about the game in question. I've used changelings in my games as NPCs before and as antagonists and allies, but never actually run a changeling game. So those people on our forums will know that Bog and Knight, Adrian from Mirage Arcana, uh, has years of changing experience, mm. and from time that I spent over at EM World, there's a post to their Chris Chris Gath, um, likewise uh, has a great deal of expertise and love for the game. So I thought, who better than these two gents to get on board and uh, share some of their wisdom and their experiences and their suggestions with us? So uh, we sat down a couple of days ago and uh, recorded a whole load of material, and what you're going to hear in just a minute um, is about. The best forty-five minutes uh, of the of the entire show. Money can um, buy
0: pun. That money can buy.
1: That money can buy. Yes,
0: <laughs> checks in the mail, guys. <laughs> That's right. Uh, from signed from Mark from Darker Days. Yes, <laughs> and I do apologize. I was unable to sit down with you guys and uh, participate, but I was uh, wrapped up in a. Issue. Scuba diving expedition to the Antarctic. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it, right, right, right. <laughs> so we'll be back right after this, and you can hear right. Marco re- lead right into the segment. So stay
2: tuned.
3: Listening to the Darker Days podcast. More fun than being smacked in the head with a wooden board.
1: long awaited often requested and often promised here we are at last with Darker Days special feature on Changeling from the multicolored days of Changeling the Dreaming to the rarefied elegance of Dark Ages Fae to the modern brilliance of Changeling the Lost we've got it all for you right here on the show now uh, we're joined by Adrian from Mirage Arcana one of our fellow shows on WGPRN and Chris better known as Crothian N World's Uber Poster or is that E-N World I'm never sure how to pronounce it uh, both of these fine gentlemen have scads of experience with the Changing line and will be sharing their wisdom and expertise with us here on the show right now. And this is also a global first for Darker Days as we're spanning three time zones, three continents and the entire weekend to bring you this segment. While I'm in the UK, Chris is in the US and Adrian is all the way over there in tomorrow afternoon in Australia. So guys,
2: it's good to be thanks here. Very much, thanks for inviting me.
1: Oh, glad to have you on the show and uh, glad that you're going to uh, save Vincent uh, and mine, mine bacon as our, our changing knowledge is... Uh, Is not really what it should be. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you came to
2: discover the Changeling game. Uh, Chris? Well, it started with a good friend of mine, Leslie. She started collecting some of the Changeling books and always wanted to have a campaign going. I've always been the storyteller in the group, so I started to read through it. Um, By the time I got into it, the Changeling line was dying down. Mm. But we have a lot of local used bookstores here. And so through a lot of luck and then some good people on the Internet, I was able to buy and trade for pretty much every Changeling book out there.
1: Oh, That's cool. I seem to remember you posting on EM World when you just finally completed your collection. So uh, a happy day indeed.
2: Yeah, I was extremely excited because some of those books became
1: very rare very fast. They're hard to get hold of. It took me months to get hold of the uh, Land of 8 Million Dreams. Well, months, years. Impossible to find that thing was. And what about yourself, Adrian? Where, did, where does your changeling pedigree date back to? Quite a way, I think. It does.
3: I got into the Change in the Dreaming line on the day that it was actually released. Wow. Uh, I went. To, I had it on pre-order because at the time I was to Werewolf, and in the second edition of Werewolf, they mapped out Arcadia. And these were areas which interested me greatly. And when I started seeing the ads for Changeling in the backs of books in Dragon Magazine, I thought this is a game that I need to... T- at least take a look at, and uh, I pretty much kept up with the schedule and purchased every source book as soon as it came out. Uh, we then proceeded to uh, start running the Immortalized trilogy, which mm. took us, we played roughly once every fortnight for a whole day, every fortnight, so over, over that time we got to explore almost almost everything that Changeling had to offer. Um, so, sorry, how long, did, how long did it take you to finish,
1: it? did you say? Four years. Four years? Wow. That's quite something.
3: With that four years, obviously, just the material in in Immortal, we managed to drag in a lot of the material from the other sourcebooks and wrote a bit of our own material to out quite nicely.
1: So, Changeling was the the last of the full-on original World of Darkness game lines to be produced, and I'm not entirely sure that it got the full run that it deserved. It seemed to peter around a little bit toward the end, and... I believe that um, flagging sales were were mentioned as a, was one reason for the game's final cancellation, and um, a lot of us, you know, we we've all heard various stereotypes of Changeling as being the the happy shiny World of Darkness game and the one with the balloons and all the rest of it. Um, so, I, what I think would be a good idea to do right now is to take a look at what Changeling actually is, uh, but also what the game isn't. Um, now, the the, the Changeling. The dreaming will start with that one. It's, it's central concepts. Um, from, what, from what experience I've had with the game, uh, the idea is that you have changelings have, have been forced to take on human form in one degree or another, but they start out being ignorant of what they really are. And they go through a period called the chrysalis where they burst into their, uh, their true changeling seeming. And you also have uh, the She, these more powerful, almost more elemental changeling forces who've been away from the world and are now returning. And I believe they tied it into the uh, the moon landing and, and similar uh, events, uh, with the reopening of the changeling trods. Now, if there's anything you guys want to add on what you see as the the
2: core concepts and ideas of dreaming, we always did was just the. Blending of the childhood imaginations and then the growing up into the mundane world of adults. I mean, mm-hmm. with the changelings, even if they're a child, which we played a lot of Chronicles for us, we always struck an interesting balance between the two, doing adventures often the dreaming in the lands of imagination versus actual things dealing with bullies and very modern day school type um, adventures. Cool. Yes, it worked out very well for us. My last campaign did about two years of weekly things and it was just dealing with I mean, all the main characters or children and then children NPCs that I just completely made up and we just kind of expanded and dealt a little bit with the meta plot of the Changeling game, but mostly it was just from the main book and everyone's imaginations.
1: Right, and what would you say that sets Changeling apart from the other World of Darkness games, the the more classic gothic horror games that were out in that period?
2: For us, it was always, Changeling was a little bit of a brighter game, because unlike with Vampire or Werewolf, there didn't seem to be that evilness within the characters of themselves i mean even though some of the fae, if you go back to the old myths were evil child stealing creatures the way they're presented in the book it's very easy for them to assimilate into human societies mm. and to get along i mean they are technically insane but they can hide their insanities pretty well and deal amongst themselves and not be a burden or the monsters that myth portrays them as.
1: Right, right, right. Um, And what about yourself, Adrian? Does that do your expenses?
3: It does. The central key theme to most of what I ran was trying to set that balance again between the real world and between the world that the Fae inhabited and always trying to get the characters to feel that sense of wonder that just underneath the surface is true and correct and real is something much deeper and something much more wondrous. And even when I look through the eyes of Slotty, who has this sense of wonder, so it does... Uh, work a lot better uh, if you try to take on that childling persona and look at things from a slightly different angle. Also, the other thing that comes out very clearly in Changeling is that if you look at any of the other game lines, there is a certain level of innate evil that is built into the characters, and you know that you're playing a monster. In Vampire, you would have to... Mm be a remarkably deluded individual to say that a vampire is, at its core, a good creature. Uh, The werewolves, even though most people assume that they are the heroes, they are still ravening beasts, uh, who are capable of insane amounts of violence if they can't manage to keep their own beast in check. Whereas with Changeling, there seemed to be built into the characters that they started on that higher ground know they were capable of true atrocities and when you look at things that occurred during the Accordance War or later on in the meta plot when um, High King David disappears and the Civil War erupts across Concordia there are some truly awful things that happen.
1: Um, We've all heard the the stereotypes about Changeling. Do you you think that those elements led toward the The perhaps undeserved reputation that it had as 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 the game for you know fluffy bunny people with bubbles, or uh, you know how would you address some of those those misconceptions, Adrian? Because I know you've talked about those in the past. I think that the overall
3: perception of the game was that it was a much shinier, again, shiny, happy version of the World of Darkness, and I've encountered a lot of different misconceptions over the years, even within my own gaming group, when I've tried to pitch Changeling to them, and you get everything from, no, I don't want to play the game because it's a feel-good game, and we would prefer to play in the World of Darkness, and it it's the one game that doesn't gel. Um, the mm-hmm. other thing that we get quite often is um, I've had a number of people say to me, no, thank you. I don't want to play D&D in the world of darkness because oh, they, really? wow. seriously, they, they look at the political structure that is predominantly a feudal model. They look at the fact that you've got archaic weaponry, courtly manners, all of these sorts of things um, in the system, and they automatically assume that you're going to be playing D&D in modern day. Uh, which has always struck me as an odd uh, sort of perception. Um, and beyond that, I think it's it's more... The, even the books themselves, when they first came out, it, it was the only game line to actually produce material that was lavishly illustrated, full colour, every single page you often find that people shy away from them based on those production values as well which was actually something which dragged me into the game was those really nice smooth bright uh, colored books
1: very much very much Uh, did you uh, encounter any of this chris in your experiences or have you found people generally to
2: be open to it uh, without any preconceptions no we had to fight just to Find enough people just to put the group together. My biggest problem was not dealing with the preconceptions of Changeling, but dealing with some people who weren't necessarily the biggest White Wolf fans and were coming from different gaming systems or just different ways of dealing with it. When going through the Changeling books there one of the ways i can see these misconceptions coming out up is depending on what books you had and how you decided to read and interpret them there were just many different ways that changeling was presented i think it dealt with you know the multitude of writers who are coming to the game and just writing a book and their bring in their own interpretations of how changeling is because changeling can go many different ways so when we finally sat down and started our own chronicle the first thing was to sit everyone down and to present my interpretation of how it was going to do so we all start exactly on the same page without trying to fight these misconceptions down the road you know a couple months into a game
1: absolutely absolutely it's a very sensible way to uh, get everybody on the same page to begin with uh had far too many campaigns and chronicles myself just derail wildly because of clashing player and storyteller expectations Um, and how much experience do you guys have with changeling the lost the uh, the latest iteration
2: of the game i've ran a few one shots and also played in it at origins and gen con but i've never actually tried a full-flown chronicle one thing i did do as the new as changing the lost in the new world darkness was coming out as I incorporated some of those rules into Changeling the dreaming like the set number for the um, successes and mm. just trying to make the rules just a little bit better because within changeling the dreaming we found that the rules were just a little too all over the place.
1: Yeah, the old world of darkness doesn't have the most streamlined of systems. This is true. Um, Changing the Lost struck me just you know looking at its its core themes and ideas again as a much darker game, and just in its outset and in, in its general concept, uh, the idea that you know your life has been has been stolen, you've been kept a prisoner for, for who knows how long, or sort you, know, you can't even remember the things that have been done to you. Uh, now you're free. Um, you have the choice of do you take your life back, but in doing so. Uh, cause trauma and an upset for those who haven't noticed you've gone missing. And at any given time, somebody may, you know, come and get you and drag you back to wherever it is you've been held prisoner. Uh, and for me, that, that has an entirely different feel just in the game's core concept. Now, Chris, you mentioned that you did a lot of work with changelings as children. Um, and this, I suppose, echoes some of the material that white wolf have released more recently in, uh, in their innocence book. Um, there are a few elements there you want to highlight from from your own experiences to show, you know, how this can be made to work and how the storyteller can get the most most advantage out of uh, out of this for their
2: changeling game. Well, one of the things that I liked that my own players did is they decided to have all of their f- characters come from just normal mundane homes. We didn't have any orphans or any characters from broken homes, which gave them a nice level of stability and then as the storyteller gave me plenty of potential NPCs with parents and brothers and sisters to deal with to bring them into the mundane world. When it comes to just dealing with it, I do think that we did have some problems, you know, just playing a kid as an adult can be tricky because there's Yeah. You're just trying to remember your own childhood, but memory is always a tricky thing. You're remembering something's better, and just within the Changeling, the Dreaming game, it does show that the character that's a lot of the characters are orphans and broken. So when I came up with some of the NPCs, um, these poor NPC children had some of the most horrific lives that one could imagine. But when it came to meeting with the players, the players then had a their characters had a good chance of helping them out you know finding a way to bring these kids into an acceptance and a more stable environment so it worked out well there and i also incorporated in the fetch with one of our characters who they went to talk to her one day and the whole, whole personality had completely changed as the fetch as they were talking to her fetch instead of ah, awesome. the actual changeling and that turned out to be the spookiest thing that we did in the whole campaign because it was a character that they knew that had an established personality and they had dealt with for months and then to just see the character not fully understand why her personality had changed what had happened to her and of course i redefined some of what the fetch was
1: and did did you have um discussions with the players beforehand about boundary issues you know i know often in in uh, modern media and films and TV, uh, children are kind of sacrosanct. It's very rare that you see anything explicitly bad happen to them, uh, and they were sent to get away unscathed, while it's the adults who get mangled, eaten, stabbed, shot, burned, etc. I mean, did you did you define lines that you didn't want to cross, or were, were all bets off?
2: Not that all bets were off, but we didn't define lines. Now we did have uh, one battle where a rival group of changelings were invading their homeland, and it did turn out that one of the changelings, as a child, he rolled the dice, and it turned out to be an extremely good roll, and he murdered in self-defense uh, one of the opposing adults, and that became just a really well-defining moment for his character.
1: Adrian, have you experienced uh, children as player characters at all, or have yours more or less been uh, adults?
3: It, it's mostly with the party composition, in that you'll have a lot of people who want to play Wilders, so you're looking at teenage and... Uh, and older, and I have a few people who their favourite seeming is grump, uh, because they they enjoy exploring the the other end of the the Changeling life cycle, and for me it's mostly been a case of integration, and saying, well, you've got this group of teenagers and some adults, and they're going off and doing all of these things, because they are more socially mobile than a child, uh, they have got a lot more freedom to engage with the plot and a lot more freedom of movement. And then if you then have somebody playing a childling in that mix, especially in one game that we had, we had a puka childling and we also had a Troll Grump in the party. And the Troll Grump looked at her as a daughter or a granddaughter and was actually overly protective, almost stifling And the two players had discussed this outside the game, and the person playing the the troll, Grump, had said, listen, I don't want to be dictating to you when and how you can play your character. Then with youthful exuberance, try and find a way around him, or sneak into places where she shouldn't be. Um, So it was that constant interplay
2: between those two characters that was quite enjoyable. Well, one of the things that I did when we sat down to make the characters, the first person who had an idea was the childling character and so i then decided to talk to everyone and said i would if we're going to do a childling i'd prefer everyone to be a childling just to not have to worry about some of those issues with grumps and childlings and that way if everyone's a child then everyone has the same options to work around and thumbs i don't have half the party going to bed and then half the party wanting to stay up and do their changeling party
1: Having a unified group makes it a, a lot easier that was one of the uh, the good pieces of advice they gave in world of darkness innocence um, which we covered that a few shows ago and there's uh, some excellent you know as I mentioned at the time during the review it's a series of essays scattered throughout that book by parents uh, rather than the game material itself perspectives on children from a parents point of view and on playing children on where you should go and where you shouldn't go and and how you can bring uh, a party composition together that I think uh, uh, make the the book's you know strongest advice, and it kind of echoes some of the things that you guys have been saying just now about where can a child go and where can't a child go, and what happens when a child is confronted by something like murder um so yeah, it's interesting stuff, okay now, metaplots the old world of darkness, changing line much more so than the new, was rich and thick in Metaplot now with with so much stuff packed into into the the broad swathe of the of the books um, how Adrian, for example, would you see as the best methods to get the Metaplot into the game uh, without it overbearing the game with you know ideas and themes that can be plugged directly into your chronicle uh, without making it too much of a burden and too difficult.
3: Well, first of all, what I would do is look at what things that we mentioned beforehand was that with the misconceptions of Changeling, the game is a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and that included the writers for a lot of the source books. So if you're going to run a high fantasy urban um, adventure, then the way that you interact with the metaplot and the elements which are going to be useful to your uh, game are going to be a lot different than if you want to play a full-on shadow court political intrigue game. So I think at the very beginning it's very important to sit down with your players and get that are going to then be useful to how you're going to play. There are a couple of things that, though that I would say would need to be in most Changeling Chronicles um, and for starters there would be the Accordance War. Now obviously the Accordance War started in 1969 after the She returned from Arcadia or were expelled from Arcadia, and showed up on Earth. Now, they'd been gone for about 500 years, and the She returned to Earth, saw that there were commoner changelings in vast numbers, saw that there were freeholds of glamour, and essentially said, well, we may have been gone for half a millennia, but we're just going to pick up where we left off. And immediately assumed that the changeling commoners would kowtow to them, and would accept them as their lords and masters. And obviously, lots of the commoners decided that this was not an acceptable political structure, and the Accordance War then ensued. It was fought for a number of years, and then finally, we have High King David taking the throne, and in essence, getting an accord. And Also, uh, you may actually be playing grumps who were old enough to have fought in the Accordance even then use advanced storytelling techniques like doing some flashbacks. Um, if your character has succumbed to the mists at any time, and mm-hmm. that's when essentially the banality of the real world has overtaken your ability to see the fae world, and you, you forget for a period of time. When you come back into your fae seeming, there may be things that you still don't remember. So you can use flashbacks, and you can use part of that forgotten history of a character to explore who they are and what they're doing.
1: Cool, very good. Um, Chris, did
2: you make much use of the matter plot? I ended up doing was showcasing various points and seeing if the players would take the bait, so to say. So, within the Kingdom of Willows, the West Virginia is a group of commoners who are trying to. Not to be held under the same kingdom that uh, Virginia is. And so there's a little rebellion going on there. Visit their freeport and to see how things were going. And they ended up having to stop an assassination plot by the Big Bad Wolf. As I borrowed from all sorts of things to bring in with the imaginations. But mostly...
1: literally, Literally the Big
2: Bad Wolf. Yes, I was actually cool
1: <laughs> That's really cool. i
2: was reading through another role-playing game the uh sorcerer of Zo, which deals with a lot of myths and things and they had an interesting take on the big bad wolf and i so i borrowed it from my changeling game oh good but, stuff uh, yes but mostly with the meadow plot I would just show little bits and things and see if the players were interested, which mostly they weren't playing kids, and so I was prepared for that. But for my own storyteller and reading through the books and to just showing the vast amount of things going on, I just like to showcase little bits here and there. And the player characters, you know, they would smile and see it and then go on their merry way as children do. Right, right. Now, um,
1: time of judgment. Uh, Changeling... Didn't get its own book. Um, but as I recorded it got a, a little segment um in the Time of Judgment hardcover itself. Uh, what did you make of that when it when it reared its uh, its handsome head, Adrian?
3: Um, I, I picked it up because I bought the other books, and I ended up running Gehenna for Vampire. I ran Apocalypse for Werewolf and closed off some very long-running campaigns. Uh, the Vampire campaign had been going for about eight years at that point in time. The Werewolf Chronicle had been going for about nine. So I thought, well, I'll pick up this book just in case I ever want to end my Changeling Chronicle and mm. take a look at the sorts of ideas. Um in the same vein as the other books, it provides you with a multitude of different ways that you, you can approach the coming of winter. And it advances the metaplot uh, to the uh, winter is essentially inevitable. It's a force that it's going to become... Very difficult to counter, and the death of creativity, the death of glamour, is definitely coming. We see in the end days that there is a time where the Shadow Court comes into power, and they are now in charge of the throne. Uh, they they supplant uh, David Ardry as High King, and because of their outlook on how they perceive the coming of winter, they immediately change the way in which the Almost the, the the entire nation of changelings approaches the idea as well. And in a way, it, it her- took out of the books, which I intend on using well before uh, the, the the coming of winter, was the idea of the Tithed Ones. And this was a group that, first of all, starts out, um, and you're not quite sure whether or not, their chimera or whether or not they're other changelings and after a short while you discover exactly what they are and it's probably one of the most horrifying revelations I saw in Changeling. Essentially when a she takes over or a she enters the real world, instead of being born into the human body, they actually take over the human's body and eject that human soul. And it's essentially it's body snatching, which is frightening enough by itself. You don't really feel, though, it it didn't really give you that sense of wonder and that sense of heroism that I would expect from a Changeling Chronicle.
1: Yeah, 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 I agree. Uh, Chris, your your children as Changeling Chronicle, that came to a a definitive end, right?
2: Yes, basically. We had played it for two years. We had accomplished enough. Uh, It was just hard enough to kid everyone one together for two sh- and so as things were just moving on we did come to a definitive end after the scenes with uh high king david i basically had the camera pan out to just show all the kids as the look of the dreaming kind of fades away and you just see that the kids are playing in a uh, parking lot. And then the camera continually fades out, so then the sounds of the city come in, and you just see the city, the city lights, as basically the kids were just, you know, having their fun, playing in a just a normal parking lot, but because it's Changeling, in their eyes, it was something much more.
1: That's very, very cool. So, I mean, for you, the, 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 the vast metaplot elements of Time of Judgment, they're not even on the map.
2: No, that was just way too depressing, and a lot of it was things happening that the players not only had no way of affecting, but no way of dealing with or knowing that they're coming. It was what I felt was almost uh, screw you for playing in this Chronicle for all this time. And all this heavy weight of things that your character had nothing to do with, no way of knowing about, are going to come into power, and haha, you're dead. Yeah, that sucks. That that does. <laughs> um, there's
3: there's no there's no way that I would leave that as the final paragraph of my chronicle.
1: No. <laughs> so maybe that actually does go back to some of these, you know, the, the original ideas of changeling having a, a very light feel. Uh, the, the the time of judgment. Moves so far away from that that stereotype that it goes in the opposite direction, uh, yet to its own detriment. You know. Yes. Right. Good. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that, that I think that wraps that subject uh, very very neatly up there. Um, well, we mentioned earlier on uh, Dark Ages Fae. Um Now it, it's a bit of a uh, an odd member of uh, of the Trinity. Changing the dreaming had a, an expansive game line changing the lost was supposed to be limited and then became slightly less limited um dark ages fae from what we can make out was intended to be a viable part of the dark ages line but was limited to just a single book now did you guys ever play any fae at all
2: nope i have the book i have a number of the regular dark age vampires thing the most i ever did with dark ages fae was bring in their court system dealing with the summer winter and fall and that type of stuff and then i showcased it in as a she basically trying to get this idea of hey this is how we should do the court systems and just basically showcasing a different political view that was unpopular
1: it is something of a reimagining of the background of uh, changing the dreaming some elements like the glastonbury compact and what have you are kept but a lot of other stuff is ignored outright or even discarded. Um, the idea is that the Fey have been away from Earth, leaving humanity as the stewards of the world, uh, and have now returned um, in the, I suppose, it's the early 1200s. Uh, and they've discovered that humans, far from being stewards, are now in control and running amok. And uh, the truce between the, the Fey and humans, the, uh, the truce by which they go away and leave it into human stewardship, is about to end, and all bets are off. Another interesting angle uh, that sets it apart from uh, other lines is that humans in their folklore beliefs have got real power over the Fae. Uh, I'll touch on that again in a minute. Um, the Splats have been stripped right down to three. Um, there's the Firstborn, who are real, quote-unquote, Fae, a bit like the she. Uh, the Inanime, who are much like the Inanime from Dreaming, Spirits, Nature Sprites, Elementals, etc. And Changelings, who are the classical human babies replaced by a fey child. And there are, like Chris just said, uh, the courts, um, spring, summer, autumn, winter, and also a solstice court for for outcasts. And once you take those and add in your features, uh, oaths and echoes, which are little bits of uh, rules and setting material to add diversity to your character, you end up with that small amount of possibilities that gives you a limitless array of character types without needing, for example, the 50 different splats that proliferated throughout the Dreaming line. So that stripped-down approach uh, from the outset was uh, an interesting difference. Um, Now, if you're lucky enough to have gotten hold of a copy of Dark Ages Fae, um, how might you uh, use this in uh, in idling the Dreaming or Changing the Lost or one of the other World of Darkness games? So one of the first things that you can use is the idea that the Fae have been away. Now, Changing the Dreaming used this idea, uh, as Adrian mentioned earlier on in the show, and with the resurgence following the reopening of the trods and the moon landings and what have you. So you could plug this idea right into the modern game. Um, the Dark Ages game has the idea that the fey have been away, uh, just as the modern game does. So those two work pretty well together. And as I said just now, if you are overwhelmed by the huge amount of options and the large number of splats in the modern game, you can use the uh, fey approach and strip it right down to the basic three. And this is also useful if you have players who like to read all the books. Um, You can use fey rather than changeling to keep them guessing and it's particularly effective if, for example, you're playing a mage or a werewolf game with players who are familiar with changeling, uh, keeps them uh, on their toes. And the same thing applies to Dark Ages fey's magic system. Ages fey uses cantrips, which are kind of like rotes or gifts from Major Werewolf, and it also uses unleashing, which is a lot like sphere magic. It's powerful, it's vast, and it's limited largely by the player's imagination. So throw this kind of thing at the players who are expecting standard cantrips and bunks, and uh, watch the sparks fly. The uh, same system could also be plugged, for example, into a non-fey game. Maybe you want to have a variant mage game, or different types of sorcerers, or we'll give your werewolves powers that tap into the raw wildness of nature. Phase unleashing and mists systems are great ways to model this. They have a broad scope of powers with the potential for di- disastrous and dangerous backlash. And the lure of cantrips, with their effects akin to banality, can be a good way to represent the sliding scale between dynamism and stasis, from Mage the Ascension, for example. If you use the variant paradox system from the Mage Storyteller's Handbook, you'll find this fits particularly well. Now Dark Ages play was not without its problems. Um, there are a few examples uh, in the game given, plenty of examples of things like different appearances, different uh, features and different oaths and different echoes, but there's very few hard and fast guidelines. Now there were ideas for the Changeling Player's Guide, as I believe Matt McFarland mentioned in way, way back in the early Dark Day show, but these never came to fruition. So more than with other games, the Solitary Fae book requires the storyteller to read and absorb it, to make plenty of notes and uh, prep some judgment calls ahead of play. And uh, as uh, has been mentioned actually already in this show, it's a good idea to get your players on board beforehand with the idea of what you're going to try and do with the game. Uh, Get them to accept that the book is somewhat incomplete and be prepared to make and roll with judgment calls on the fly. And as I said, Oaths and Echoes are good examples of this. These are some of the game's strongest features. They represent bonds and pacts with humans, and weaknesses to human remedies and folklore beliefs and wards straight out of fairy tales, uh, you know, not being able to cross a line of salt or being affected by cold iron or what have you, or being required to protect a particular hamlet on a certain night of the year. There's a few suggestions that these are given, but the rest of it is just left up to the storyteller and his players. Now, this is all well and good for the player characters. You'll sort these things out in character generation. But if the storyteller is using a number of NPCs, it's best to prep this kind of thing properly beforehand to uh, save yourself having to come up with uh, all these kind of details right on the fly. And the main problem is, of course, that the book is now impossible to find. Uh, even when it was in print, its print run was so small that it was almost impossible to get a hold of. So these days, as always, uh, PDF is your friend um, until some kind of print-on-demand option becomes available, of course.
2: One way I was going to use it but it turned out to be too complicated is within the story we had uh, a flashback where I had the players play different characters from a time hundreds of years ago to show an event that had happened. And what I briefly thought was to basically run a one-night dark ages fey game with characters using those rules and things but it just seemed too different from what we knew of changeling the dreaming and it was going to be just be too much work for me to get everyone to understand the differences but it was an idea that i liked to have the feeling of uh, enough rule changes and enough differences so that not only does the descriptions of everything look and sound differently but the rules are actually supporting of that
1: yeah, the, the the differences are quite quite striking. Um, I think it would be kind of daunting to just dip into it for one evening and have your players effectively learn an entire new game system uh, just for that. For that, yeah, I'd agree with you there. Okay, so there you go: Changeling, uh, the Dreaming, the Lost, and Dark Ages Fey. Now we've touched on a few subjects just now: um, an overview of the game and what it is and what it isn't, um, some looks at close-up views of chronicles that feature changelings as children, uh, the metaplot, uh, its Dark Ages incarnation. Uh, but as has been said by by both of our guests, changeling is a, a lot of things to a lot of people, and, and not least of all, its writers, um, with each different writer, a slightly different perspective, uh, came on the game. Um, so we'll kind of throw the table open a little bit here and just trot out a few uh, more bite-sized nuggets of changeling lore. Now, I know... Um, Adrian, you mentioned the Arcadia game, the card game, and when we were prepping the uh, prepping the show, uh, that wasn't even something I was aware existed. I had some of the bunk cards, uh, and I've still got a handful of unopened bunk packets downstairs. But I didn't know they'd even made a card game.
3: That trading card game uh, uh, would have been probably about two years after the main rulebook came out. And it was ridiculously hard to get a hold of in Australia. I only actually knew two gaming stores here that um, that stocked it. And the idea that was quite attractive to me at the time, because I was coming from the background of playing Mage, and, uh, not Mage, so Magic and Vitas. Mm. Um, the the idea was that you would buy a story pack, which was a single booster pack of cards, and you would buy a character pack. And in the character pack, there would be this little pop-up um, card, which would be your changeling character. And so I think I've got some red caps, I've got an shoe, I've got a couple of She, um, and they would have certain stats. And within your character pack, you would get a range of merits and flaws to choose from, some treasures, um, some allies, basically anything that could be bought with background dots in the role-playing game. And you had a points cost that you could spend on those cards, and you could then flesh out your character, as it were. Now, the story pack would have a c- couple of different types of cards. The primary one was a location where you got all of your location cards and you built a, uh, a fairly linear story, constructing your own board game as well. And when you landed on a certain location, you would have the opportunity for your opponent maybe to play a card which would give you a dilemma, which you would then need to play cards in order to solve. And you would work your way through um, solving your way through these dilemmas, fighting different foes until you'd accumulated enough victory points that, uh, that um, one of you was the clear winner. That's interesting. So it, was, so it was part card game, part role-playing game, uh, part board game. Uh, And it never played the same way twice because you could throw down your location cards in whatever order and you were never forced to put down the same sort of dilemma card. Uh, So it it was always – sorry, go on. I'm just going to
1: say it sounds a lot like the Star Trek card game uh, that had missions and locations and obstacles and people to fight and what have you all laid out and a track along the table.
3: Yes. Yeah, it played very similar to that, but it took the idea that instead of recruiting a crew for your ship, you just had a single changeling that you then fleshed
1: out. Mm. I only played that once or twice, and uh, it ended up with Captain Picard dying a horrible death on a radioactive garbage scow. You know, so... uh <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, <random> really.
3: <laughs> Lovely. Lovely.
1: Uh, now I think that all games when they they end their, their time prematurely is the, the lack of the splat books that everybody wanted to see. You know, and with, with Mage the Ascension we got uh, the revised Iteration X convention book and then no others. Um now I know uh, the and Kith book is one that's whose absence is uh, is much lamented by, by changeling players. Do you guys have any any personal takes on that?
2: Well, in our games, we never actually had anyone who was a boggin, so we didn't have too much of a problem. And the kith books, they had some nice information to for, I think, players that needed a little help to get into the kiths. And, of course, it had some more options. But, at least for us, the most used, I think, was the puka book, because that allowed our puka player to kind of understand and be able to do the pukinese the way that the puka talk because the book presented it a lot better than the changeling the dreaming core book did
1: Ah, cool yeah i think puka is one of the ones i managed to get what about you adrian what were your thoughts on boggan
2: um
1: i I am a
3: completionist so i would have liked to have seen it come out as you can probably guess from my forum handle you can tell which (laughs) kid uh i played more often than not so i i have a i have a um, over over the years, I have had a long-standing rant regarding the lack of uh, of boganite uh, of the Boggan um, kith book. Um, so I, I shan't bore you with it. Merely to say that that its absence is actually quite keenly felt over in this in this area.
1: Yeah, Adrian posts as a bogan knight on the forums, so uh, that explains a little bit there, I think. <laughs> okay, right. Well, that. Uh draws the changeling segment to a close gentlemen thank you guys for uh, taking the time to to share your thoughts and your opinions and your experiences with us here on on darker days uh, much appreciated thank you very much
2: my pleasure yes it was a lot of fun thanks for having me on
1: oh no anytime anytime uh next time we uh, we open the uh, the changeling chest of dreams i'll uh, be sure to tap you guys for a little bit more contributions uh, if you are so willing so uh thanks to chris uh, and thanks to adrian and uh, we'll be uh, back with the show right after this
2: Good evening,
0: this is Beckett and you're listening to the Darker Days podcast brought to you by Wild Games Productions Radio Network a podcast about everything World of Darkness both old and new delve into the secrets and unearth the mysteries or to see what the shadowy side of gaming might have to offer Okay folks, we're back that was awesome Mark uh, I, I, that was really cool
1: yeah I was very lucky to uh to have the the time to share with those guys um fascinating stuff that makes me more determined than ever to uh break out the immortalized trilogy and uh force my players uh, at gunpoint if needed to run through the the changeling the changeling uh, adventures that are contained therein really great stuff
0: Yeah we want to uh do a little bit more on changeling in the future uh, we have another chance to do it again maybe we can get uh some of the people involved with writing on here to talk a little bit about and answer some questions I'm sure a lot of people have. That'd be kind of cool. we trying to get in contact with them and see what happens. If you listening to our podcast, you could always just email us at what, Mark?
1: Dark days radio at
0: gmail.com Or you can go visit us on Facebook and email any, either one of us on Facebook or visit our fan site. At That's Facebook, true. at whatever, whatever, Darker Days Radio. It's
1: just Darker Days Radio on Facebook. Type yeah. it in,
0: and it'll, it'll pop right up. Pop. That's right. It pop. Is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, I think, is going to uh, put a close on things tonight, Mark, uh, as we're going to hit the road. Yes, we are. Head for the hills. Don't look back. That's right. And we're going to uh, put another nail in the coffin on this show. <laughs>
1: I haven't got another metaphor, I'm sorry. Come
0: <laughs> on, Mark. Anyway, folks, uh, thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, stay tuned next time for another, I believe another Darkling episode will be coming out. That'll be number eight. And then Mark, yes, and, indeed. Are, Mark and I will be back, and uh, this year we'll have some uh, more guests coming along as we I've booked a whole bunch of people for us again.
1: We've got some good ones lined up, and that's very true.
0: And uh, just to give you a little teaser, we do have Jess Hartley on the way. As uh, I was supposed to announce that last time, but... We were so wrapped up in interviewing Monty Cook, he didn't want to take the spotlight away from him. Yeah. Welcome to Fortune. This is Mint signing off of ARC. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>